Um, when people talk about being in recovery for addiction, uh, I, I never knew what, you know, recovery, we think, you know, you got hit in the head with a brick and you have to recover from that injury. But I like seeing recovery as, and I, I don't identify as like a substance addict, but probably a food addict and probably who's somebody who just doesn't like moderation in anything. But <laughs> I... Um, I love the notion of recovery as recovering the person that you were always intended to be or recovering the truest version of yourself. I love that. Hey, I'm Wendy Tamas Robbins, and I lived with a variety of anxiety disorders for over 40 years. If you're struggling and looking for support from someone who's been there, you've come to the right place. And if you don't have anxiety, but you're struggling to understand what everyone's talking about, yeah, I got you too. I'm honored to be your host, your guide, and your coach, helping you explore and navigate all things mental well-being. When I realized my comfort zone had turned into a prison, I went on a journey to find freedom and to step into the life that was waiting for me on the other side. Now, I'm sharing everything I learned with you the tools and the treasures that are buried inside all of us. I'm a recovering perfectionist, a professional panic attacker, an anxiety coach, a speaker, an advocate, a corporate attorney, a stepmom, wife, and now a best-selling author. Get ready for real stories of struggle and transformation that are as messy as they are magical. I'll cover mindfulness and nutrition, meditation and movement, resiliency and recovery and everything in between. So whether it's a solo show or a conversation with one of my guests, you'll leave feeling less alone and inspired by examples of what is possible. This is my invitation to you to stop hiding and meet me here twice a month to reveal and connect over our deepest vulnerabilities so we can carry the weight together. And remember, I'm not a medical professional or a licensed clinician. I'm a small town girl who achieved big dreams while unraveling inside and then turned her anxiety into her superpower. Let me show you how to transform your anxiety from your kryptonite into your cape. So whether you're taking a drive or a walk or just a moment alone, this is your time to feel heard and held, seen, safe, and supported as we hold space for our collective struggles. This is the Perfectly Panicked Podcast. We are together, together in this, together is strong. I'm never alone. My brother, my sister. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so happy you're here again. You are in for a treat. Because today I am talking to Jim Trick. Jim was morbidly obese at 430 pounds. He was trapped in a life, a body, and a mindset from which he thought there was no escape. Now over 220 pounds lighter, Jim has devoted his life to empowering individuals, companies, and organizations to change what's possible. I love that. Through his extensive work with banding people together, Jim has impacted the way companies such as ESPN, SunTrust, NASA, Cisco, National Vision, how they empower their employees to step into the best version of themselves when working with others. Jim speaks annually to the graduating seniors at Boston's prestigious Berklee College of Music and has for years toured as a professional performing songwriter. He uses his rock star skills to engage all audiences and sometimes even strategically includes original live music in keynotes and workshops. That's exciting. We've all heard people say, I know what to do, but I just don't do it. Jim eradicates that statement and provides a powerful, fresh, effective methodology for change. Because don't we all deserve to live a life that we don't want to escape from? Jim's coaching methodology is co-active. He was trained by the prestigious Coach Training Institute 
at which time he was certified by the International Coaching Federation. With a proven methodology for overcoming the challenge of change and the swagger of a rock star, Jim is able to instantly connect and captivate his audience across a broad spectrum. This is done always in service of the client's unique ROI. Welcome to episode number four. How fun is this? Who doesn't want to spend an hour with Jim Trick? Um, I am excited about spending an hour with you, Wendy. And I love that you, I love that you're doing this. This is so good for the world. Mm, yeah, I was looking for a way to, well, thank you. Um, looking for a way to serve more people for free than I could do last year. You know, when, yeah. you're, when you're doing something free for 30 people, it takes a lot more hours than isn't it funny? doing something free for hundreds of people at the same time, given I'm still a full-time lawyer. I don't have a lot of extra time. And it's like the balance of like preparing, pre preparing emotionally, preparing content for those 30 people. Mm -hmm. And maybe that, and maybe that's like going to be a 20, 25 minute talk, but you'll still agonize for weeks over it. For sure. And then, and then versus us just getting to hang out and have a conversation about the things that matter most to us. Yeah. And, you know, for me, listening to other people talk about what was going on inside of me just off the cuff meant so much more than a lot of the, you know, scripted presentations that I saw or even self-help books or just, it just, I connected more with it. So that's what I hope to do today. Do you think that's, do you think that's because when you're in conversation, you, you're actually experiencing the ebb and flow and crooked road that is life. And that almost lines up more with what we've actually been through than the sterility of I've been hired to come here and be a speaker mm -hmm. and do this. And, and offer bullet points. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, uh, my 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 world does not function in bullet points. Yeah. yeah nor does so have not. you ever um have you ever this is how I feel coming into this. Have you ever seen a movie or read a book and you loved it so much you were like jealous at the end? Well, first you were kind of sad at the end that it was over and then you thought of those people who hadn't seen the movie yet or hadn't read the book yet and you were like so jealous of them. You're like, "Oh, yeah. God." That's a, yes, I have. That's how I feel for anyone listening to this right now who has not experienced gym trick yet. Like Aww. I'm jealous of them. <laughs> That's so nice. That makes my heart so happy. Yeah. Um, that first time, that first gym trick experience. Way to set a reasonable bar. <laughs> You're like TBD. That's not <laughs> too much pressure on it, right? Yeah. You and my mom share that opinion. Yeah. Well, at least there's two. Yeah. Yeah. At least there's two. So let's start with some context. I want to hear what it was like to be little Jimmy. Did they call you Jimmy when you were young? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of the I have a little brother, Jimmy. Yeah. Nice. I didn't know that. Anybody who is like, sort of like, it's really interesting. Um, people who have known me my whole life call me Jimmy. Or some inner circle people will call me Jimmy Trick. <laughs> Jimmy Trick. And, um, and then people who speak English as a second language will <laughs> often call me Jimmy. That's so, like, so when random. I, when I go into the cafe downtown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. I walk in, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, I love it. The only one I'm not crazy about is Jimbo. Um, little Jimmy Trick. Ah, that's a great opening. I, I just, all I wanted to be was silly. And I would put on funny outfits. And I was the youngest of five by 10 years. And so I was, and still am just so like hungry for attention. That classic youngest mm -hmm. boy in the yeah. family who's like, it's a show. And... You have a built-in audience. Yeah. And, and, and here's an audience. We're like fighting for that, fighting for that audience. And so it was like this, this balance of being super silly and 
gradually having that silly um, beaten out of me. And um, so that's the light. And I'm happy to talk about, you know, the dark. Yeah, which we share yeah. a lot of that. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, funny. haha, not really. But yeah, we have I bonded mean, over it. So yeah, the anxiety. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. So where, where do you think? Well, I mean, your story of transformation is just so remarkable. Um, where do you think? When did the darkness start to settle in for you? You know, when did you start armoring up? Yeah, that's a great, that's great. I, um, so, you know, the deal was with my family, uh, big family, five kids total, a mom and a dad and a dad who was, had the spectrum where sometimes he was funny, silly life of the party. And he was the adult child of an alcoholic and would turn on a dime and out of the blue become explosively violent. So I have memories of my dad just being great and snuggling and wanting to wrestle and going out for breakfast and, 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 and having these memories and moments that were just great. But I also know what it's like to be suspended by my neck and being open hand slapped in the face mm -hmm. for saying something to my mom that he didn't like, or, I mean, it literally could be the smallest thing that would set him off. And so uh, I would trace my experience with anxiety back to trauma around that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then we and then we add things to it. Dad was violent. I was fat. I have a funny last name and I loved music. And all of those things made me a perfect target for bullies. Mm -hmm. So bullies at school were merciless. Dad was explosively violent. And so I think what happened for me was two things. I realized that if I could develop this persona that was magnetic and well-spoken and would make my father look good in front of others, that I, that sort of performer part allowed me to escape his wrath. Mm -hmm. And it was an Italian, it was an Italian household. And so food was everything. So I learned at a young age that if I put on this persona, I would be protected. And if I was looking for comfort, processed carbs would never let me down. So, um, and so, and I, I, you know, gained weight. I was always the fat kid. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like give you a bunch right now. And then we mm -hmm. can just dump it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So dad's explosively violent. Bullying is brutal. And I'm finding comfort in food, which is making me become obese, which is doubling down on everything and making everything worse. And then when I'm 13 years old, my mother and I watch my father have a massive brainstem stroke in a train station in Boston. And it's a, the kind of stroke that no one thought he would survive. And then they said, I remember being a little boy standing next to my mom in the hospital and the doctor looking at her saying, Mrs. Trick, you have to understand your husband's never going to walk again. He's never going to speak again. And your husband's certainly never going to work or drive a car or do any of those things ever again. And within a year, my dad could speak. He could walk with canes. And, um, and he was off the ventilator. He did never work again. And he was very severely disabled, but he had all of his mental faculties and he could speak clearly and he could walk around the house for several years with, with canes. So there's a, 
a compounded trauma that comes from watching your father suffer this kind of event mm. and a, a freedom that came from it so that it was like being released from that tyranny yeah and i can i can honestly say that even though all of these things resulted in a in a pretty in a, in an aversive generalized anxiety that i have lived with i don't think i would change any of it i don't think i would change any of it at, at 51 knowing what i know now and who i've become uh, and I don't know if you share this, but like our lives are so missional now. Mm. Would you, where, where are you on that in terms of if you had a time machine and you could go back, given who you are now and what you know now, do you make changes? I don't think I would. I have had a few people ask me that. And because I don't know where that would lead me. And I'm happy where I am. I'm happy with the journey and the mission and um, yeah, where I've ended up. And I feel like that arc of, like you said before, redemption and that story and that hero's journey that we've both taken, I wouldn't give that, I wouldn't give that up for the world. You know, yeah. so if I if I went back and was able to sanitize things, go in there and just clean it all up, like who would I be? I just I don't know. So I wouldn't. Wow. And at the end of the day, right? Like um, you and I are both Rob Bell fans. Rob will say, and at the end of your at the end of your life, when you're in your 90s and you're looking over your life, the story that you are going to tell is not going to be, ooh, I got a really good deal on a truck one time. <laughs> Right, right. It, it, it's that, it's that, it's that story of overcoming, of grace, mm -hmm. of redemption, of forgiveness all around, and about then finding your place in that story once you're brought to that chapter and saying, This is who I get to be in this space. Mm -hmm. I, and I like who I get to be in this space. I love this guy, you right. know? Right. It's about falling in love with yourself, essentially, you know, ultimately like it's about falling in love with yourself. And, you know, I know, you know, this, but it's, you know, it's worth letting people know because while we are hanging out as friends, this is a podcast and <laughs> the, um, the comfort in food led me to becoming this guy. There it so, is. That's me at 430 pounds and a little people, over. If you're people just listening, you're actually in a hospital bed, it looks like. Yeah, this is, a, I'm showing, for those of you who are just listening, I'm in a picture in a hospital bed at 430 pounds when I wore a size 66 inch pair of pants and had to buy two airplane seats if I wanted to fly. And now 200 pounds later and finally having like um, done my work, uh, it's a whole, whole different, it's just a whole different world now. Yeah. The game has changed, you know, it's changed completely. Yeah. yeah. And now you're writing the code back then, right? You're just this, you're just this little Pac-Man running around, literally just eating all the dots. Like, where am I going next? Where is this leading me? Gobble, gobble, gobble. You know, yeah. like not understanding how to get out of this maze. And yeah. then all of a sudden we're writing the code. Like, oh, all the pieces fit together. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful way to look at it? It's sort of like you experience it as an observer and as somebody who it feels almost like life is acting upon you. Mm -hmm. And then you realize at a certain point that that table turns and your role changes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So what does, when you were in that space, what did anxiety feel like for you? 
when you were just having, like, what did it, was it more mental for you? Was it in your body? How did it resonate and manifest over time? I think that I've always, I think that I was dealing with anxiety long before I ever knew what it was. And I think that it had been there for so long that I didn't even recognize it as a thing until one day, 20 something years ago, I was working as a manager at a lens crafters and uh, I was married at the time. And it was a sunny day, it was a blue sky. I was 400 and some odd pounds married to a woman who was 4'11 and probably weighed about 115 pounds. And she and my mom had come to the mall where my lens crafters was, and we were going to have lunch at the food court. And we walked down to the food court and had lunch. And on the way back from the food court, out of the blue, my heart started to pound and a terror came over me because I was sure that I was having a heart attack. And we got to the back to the to the store, and I told the the, the boss to call an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And I got taken from Lenscrafters to the hospital, thinking that I was going to die. And then ultimately, they found out it was a panic attack. I had had a panic attack. And I think that that was the moment that my anxiety went from being something that I sort of felt emotionally to being something that was overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly physical. Mm -hmm. And so, and then, and so today, when anxiety when anxiety comes i now have you know beautiful tools uh to to mitigate it and to and to be with it i I didn't have any of those tools then but it still comes it still comes a, a few times a year and sometimes it hangs out for a little bit and i think that when my body opened to the idea of anxiety being physical, the anxiety did find another place to pool. And so it it feels, it can feel like, um, it can feel like a flood of warmth and dread, warmth and panic at the same time. It's like, it's like a warm water of terror is rushing over you. If that makes any sense. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes, that's exactly how it feels for me. Yeah. You and feel that, almost like you've been submerged in water. There's like a, a heat, yeah. a heat and a flow and, but it's not a good one. You know, it's something that oh. I always feel like it should feel good, but why am I terrified? Yeah. That's, even as I'm trying to explain, as I'm trying to explain that feeling to you, that's it. Those are the words. Say it. Can you, can you, do you remember what you said? Can you say it again? Well, the heat, the warmth of it feels like it should be comforting, right? Like that's that's your initial, like, oh, this is going to, oh no. And then there's just this terror. Yes. It's that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember for me, I used to, my, my mental anxiety got so bad that I looked forward to the physical anxiety because the panic attacks had a beginning, a middle and an end, but the mental anxiety just lingered like, like a fog, you know, when the fog settles in and no one really knows when it's going to leave, you know, like you can't just look at the dew point inside of your emotional being. And, and so I, it would almost make me, and that would make me feel so numb and sort of suspended in this space of um, derealization that a panic attack would make me feel alive again, even though I thought I was dying. It was just such uh-huh. a weird, you know, such a weird. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. 
I get that. It's like, okay, at least I'm feeling something. Something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, that's it. That's interesting. I tend to feel pretty deeply, I think across the board, but I can imagine what that would, I can imagine what that would be like. For me, I, I don't, you know, and I don't want to jump the gun in terms of the road that we're that we're going down now but i'm curious about you when it shows up for you now does it show up as something that is shocking to your system or has it take has it changed shape for you it's definitely changed shape because i'm never shocked to see it now um and that was never the goal i'm glad that you said that it still shows up for you um i don't think that well, because there's a few reasons. One is that anxiety in terms of triggering our fight or flight is required to keep us alive, right? It's a very um, primitive uh, response. So we're always going to have some triggers around anxiety. Um, it's just how we deal with them in the moment. But the other types of anxiety where you wake up and there's just this pit in your stomach and there's no real reason behind it. And it yeah. does linger, right? It lingers for longer than you would want it to. Now, mm-hmm. I just have a conversation with it. I used to be terrified. Like, how long is this going to last? How deep am I going to go? Where is this going to take me? Why is it here? Am I broken? Is this the time that it never goes away? And that, yeah. th- those questions would just perpetuate it, right? And then they would cause physical responses. And, those are, and then I would just be paralyzed. So now like my antenna goes up and I say, oh, okay, there's, there's no specific trigger, but there's something here to be learned. And I, I want, I look for it to inform me first and then to guide me somewhere. Where are we going yeah. with it? And sometimes it may be nothing, but it's just learning how to be in that moment with it and not just completely unravel. Know, yeah. that, know that you're going to come out of it. And this is just how you tick. And there may be some beautiful story behind it, you know, why it showed up and where you're going. And, and there may not be, it may just pass. Yeah. I have the, the practice that I've used for years and years now is I will, I will sit quietly and I'll put my hands on my heart and I'll get some breaths. And I'll have a conversation with the anxiety where I will say something like, I am willing to be here with you as long as you need me to be here with you. I will sit with you. I am not gonna try to banish you like I've done in the past. And I'm not gonna try to push you out. I'm just gonna be here with you. And then I just get quiet and I sit with my anxiety and, um, you know, it just sounds so crazy. But it's so important. Yeah. When you banish it. Yeah. When you banish it, you're, you're just, you're signing up for more and more and more of it. And and, and banishing it could look like binge eating or Mm -hmm. banishing it could look like dumping gallons of bourbon on it Mm -hmm. or or it could look like you know for me it was restriction not eating not eating for you right I mean I had a trigger I think I have it in my book where I had a panic attack driving into Boston while I was writing my book I mean I was far along and um and I turned the car around it was while I was learning how to drive a stick that's why I was afraid to go into into the city with the stick and The minute I turned the car around, my first thought was, well, you're not having dinner tonight. And I was like, what? Where did that come from? It had been years since I even had a panic attack or had been in that space of restriction and punishment around my own body as a form of banishing to control and look, you know, look perfect and present this unbroken person. And it just shocked me that, yeah, those two have been connected the whole time fascinating that part of our brain isn't it yeah 
I remember I had lost something like 150 pounds. I was like, really, I was just so in my practice and in my process and healing and building out um, all the different things that I, I talk about now professionally. And I pulled into a plaza that had, um, I think I, I had to go to some store. I, I might've even just been going to, to the grocery store or some store. And there was a, a Weight Watchers in the plaza and i i remember looking at the weight watcher sign and having the thought can i can i swear on your podcast yeah i remember looking at that sign and the thought that i had was i really got to get my shit together and my shit was so together yeah it was already yeah it was a it was thought so error. together <laughs> But I was like, so, so used to this muscle memory, like there was still this thing like you going, well, we're not going to eat tonight. And me going, mm. I really need to get my shit together. It's like this thing that was still hanging out. Right. It hadn't come forward into who you actually are right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I still have things thing. like that. Yeah. I still have things like that. Yeah. And, and okay. I, it's okay. and, Go ahead. What are you gonna say? <laughs> I'll look at things and think to myself, "Yeah, we don't do that. We have anxiety." And I'll go, "Wait, I've been doing that for two years already." No, we we don't avoid that anymore. Yeah. Right? And I'll just laugh to myself, like, "Come on, catch up, kids. Like, come, we're going. Get your mittens on. Come on." I, I went from being I went from being somebody who was four hundred and thirty pounds and could not fit in a booth in a restaurant, which is ironic. <laughs> I went from being that guy to a guy who trains full contact Brazilian jiu-jitsu five to six times a week. And it's changed my life. But I can't tell you the number of days. I might even go so far as to say more often than not on my way to class at 630 in the morning, I have anxiety that says this is not for you <laughs> it's just like it's just like we don't do this right this yeah isn't, this is not what we we you 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 are you're the fat kid who gets beat up at school you are not the you are not the fit 51 year old who goes and trains jujitsu with any level of success and and then I go there and I get on the mat and I stretch and I train and I roll. And now I teach, you know, I teach beginners on Mondays and Tuesday nights oh. and it, beginner adults, you know, like 28 year old guys that are six, three and built like a brick shit house. I'm teaching <laughs> them how to do jujitsu and doing great. Right. It, but yeah. The saboteur thing hanging in the back mm -hmm. that's it's going yeah point. no and so when we say don't push it away you know you have to listen to the voice and i i always ask like who is that it's always that scared little girl for me pulling me back into the box like yeah. this felt so safe let's just go back why are you mm -hmm. stepping out why are you testing yourself why are you pushing the boundaries we don't mm -hmm. know what's going to happen and it's just you have to just i mean what do you do with it? I just try and show her love and comfort and say, we're going to go anyway, and you're going to be fine. You know, the conversations get shorter and shorter because I, yeah. I have less and less, um, you know, stamina for it. But yeah, it depends which saboteur is popping up. I've got a handful of them. I've got a saboteur that I named Dr. Von Not Enough. And he, <laughs> and, and he is a He's like a little, little chubby doctor with a big bushy mustache and glasses and a lab coat. And he says, Jim Trick, you can't even help yourself. How are you going to help anybody else? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's Dr. Von Not Enough. There's another one called the cripple. And the cripple is the one who says, you're going to wind up just like your dad. Oh, you're going to wind up just like your dad. And then there's another one that is the little boy in the gray room. And I think the little boy in the gray room for me is like your little girl. And the little boy in the gray room is the version of me 
that just needs me to show up for him. Uh, can I tell a weird story? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I encourage it. We, the weirder, the better. All right. So uh, about 10 years ago, the process of me reclaiming my life and changing my body, changing my heart, changing my head, that all started 10 or 11 years ago. About seven years ago, I, had, I was speaking and playing music at an event in Western Massachusetts. When I was a little boy, my dad would get obsessed with things. And one of the things that my dad got obsessed with was Sturbridge Village. Did you ever go to Sturbridge Village? <laughs> yes. Sturbridge oh, yeah. Village. That was like our summer vacation. <laughs> was it really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So that was like our that was like our summer vacation as well. And my dad became a member. So we would go oh, wow. a couple of times. All and in. When we went to Sturbridge Village, it was fine. I, I, I enjoyed it. We bought fifes, you know, little, little <laughs> yeah, yeah. so awful. And, and uh, the fife and the shemishin are two musical instruments that should be made illegal. Sorry <laughs> to offend any shemishin. I'm sure they're all listening. Yeah. <laughs> they're all listening. And, uh, and so, my dad would, my dad just loved Stur, my dad loved Sturbridge Village. And when we went to Sturbridge Village, it was during the summer. So I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting bullied. And dad was in a pretty good mood. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, great. And there was, there was this funny little, this funny little like resort hotel where they would have conferences and, and the whole thing. And, you know, it's the late seventies and, and they had made the, made this place look like there was an indoor pool with oh, lots of fake greenery. They had tried to make it feel like it was outside. Mm -hmm. And I remember going there and getting in the hot tub and getting my body really, really hot. And then running my chubby little body to the pool and jumping in and feeling that, 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 that visceral feeling of going from hot to cold. And, you know, it's novel and new and, and you hadn't felt that. So for some reason, the weekend that we were there, there weren't a lot of other guests and we kind of had the whole pool area to ourselves and it was, and it was great. The next summer we went back, I was looking forward to the same kind of experience, but the resort had, was really full and really busy with lots of people. And I got in the hot tub and I went to run to the edge of the pool. And as I was about to, to jump in, the two girls that were in the pool looked up at me and said, you can't come in here. You're too fat. Oh God. And I, I realized it wasn't just my dad and it wasn't just the kids at school that this thing was this thing. Mm -hmm. And I very quietly just turned around and walked back into the hot tub. If it was a movie, it would be the grownups in the hot tub talking and the little boy sinking down into the into the hot tub mm. and not saying a word because if i said anything to my dad he would have just humiliated me and i would have gotten in trouble there just was no there was no doing anything mm -hmm. so about 7 years ago i had a gig out in western massachusetts and as i was driving back i thought to myself I wonder if there's anything there for me at that hotel mm. that I hadn't been to since I was a little boy. And I pulled off the highway and I pulled into the parking lot. Wendy, when I tell you this place is frozen in time, <laughs> it literally looks like they have cleaned the carpets and cleaned it and dusted and done the whole thing, but it is essentially essentially the same 
right down to the people behind the counter wearing these weird like vests <laughs> that look like they're the the yeah. yeah and i um and i i had my heart open to just seeing if there was anything there for me and i felt like that little boy meet, met me at the front door like he had been waiting for me. And I walked into the lobby like I was a guest. And I walked down the hallway to the pool area. And I stood there. And I connected with that little boy who still lives inside me. I apologized. And I promised him that I would never abandon him again. Mm -hmm. That I would never leave him alone again. And that I was so sorry. And so I don't know. I, I don't see him as a saboteur so much as a part. And a part that gets um, a lot of attention. Though I would say the more attention I'm giving him, the happier I am. And the better things are going. Isn't that, a, isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's so powerful. And it rings true for me so much because that was my healing process as well. Like my anxiety would point me to those pain points. Like that was a pain point for you. It was a wound that was still open. Right. And where you had abandoned yourself in that moment. And so many of us do, as we look outside of ourselves and try to become who our parents want us to become, or we start hiding from things that we are ashamed of and, the journey is really coming back home and, and going back to those places like you did, whether it's physically go there, or for me, a lot of it was done in meditation and just sit in those spaces and comfort yourself, comfort that younger version of yourself yeah. and, and reconnect, you know, and, and it's almost like when you abandon yourself, I always envision like a chasm, like you become two people or two versions. And so you, when you go back and do that work, you're, you're coming back together and making yourself whole again. Yeah. That's why um, when people talk about being in recovery for addiction, uh, I, I never knew what, you know, recovery, we think, you know, you got hit in the head with a brick and you have to recover from that injury. But I like seeing recovery as, and I, I don't identify as like a substance addict, but probably a food addict and probably who's somebody who just doesn't like moderation in anything. But <laughs> I, um, I love the notion of recovery as recovering the person that you were always intended to be or recovering the truest version of yourself. I love that. It's like That's a search like a, and rescue. It's like a tweet. Oh yeah, like a search and rescue. Like a search and rescue. Like my yeah. life now is about recovering the fullness so that whether I am looking at the little boy or the 430 pound man or or the you know or the or the 16 year old that was always the friend guy to the girls that I would fall for. Um, I'm recovering the truest, most beautiful truth of Virgin. who I actually am mm -hmm. in and also learning how to love and not resent or banish those past versions. Because yeah. you know what? For you, right, with the eating stuff, you just had really good reasons to go there. You mm. had really, had really good reasons to become who I became. And we both have even better reasons to become who we have become and mm -hmm. who we are becoming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always say that, that, you know, below that anxious static is really where all of that peace and power and authenticity resides. It's just releasing all of that, finding ways to peel back the layers and get to that vulnerable authenticity underneath it all. Not to talk about jujitsu too much, but I think Brazilian jujitsu would cure a lot of things for a lot of people. Uh, 
the thing about jujitsu is just like for jujitsu is a full contact martial art that involves fighting on the ground. It looks a lot like wrestling, but it involves chokes and major joint locks and manipulations. And uh, it's, it's the kind of thing where there's literally nowhere to hide. You can't make excuses and it's brutal, but it's true. And that's, it's a great metaphor for how I want to live now. Yeah. Just hearing those words, that's, that was my thought. Like if you don't picture the action and you just hear those words, there's no place to hide. Um, I forget what the other ones were, but they were great. <laughs> brutal and true. Brutal and truth. Exactly. Yeah. Your brutal truth. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. Because how often are we hiding God? I mean, and that's, I just realized that around, I don't think I, I'm an addict, a food addict or a substance addict, but I've certainly had disordered eating and disordered drinking throughout my life for different reasons. They come in and out at different times based on my mental health state. And last year, my physical health with surgery on my knee and things like that deteriorated and really affected, had a very big negative effect, negative effect on my mental health. And so my drinking got disordered again. And I started yeah. using it as self-care because I didn't have a lot of other outlets and started to have those thought errors again and fall into that, you know, but, um, how do you feel about moderation as a thing? Well, I've found moderation and healthy eating to be a thing for me. I can do that, but I do have, um, and I think that moderation and drinking can be done. I don't know if it's something that I will choose to do, yeah. but, um, yeah, it's interesting, but I want to talk about, um, I don't want to miss out on talking about you as an artist because you're an amazing singer songwriter oh. and, I've had the pleasure of just writing other things with you, but you're such a, a great mind and I love writing with you mm. and your coaching business because, um, you know, you're a transformational coach and you, you know, you do the work and walk the walk and you are an example of what's possible, which is, you know, so amazing as a coach. So how do you find as an artist, do you find that the mental health struggles um, fuel your art? or do they get in the way at times? That's a good question. They definitely get in the way sometimes. Uh, if I'm feeling low, uh, I, it, you know, the difference between somebody who writes, look, if, if writing and creating is something that you do when you feel inspired to do it, it's a hobby. It's yeah. a hobby. But if you're writing and creating for your work, you are finding a way to engage that part of yourself, even when you don't feel like it, even when you feel low. And I don't have this mastered, right? But the goal for me is to be writing or creating or making something regardless of how I'm feeling about it. And so for me, whether it is doing a concert, doing like an hour and a half at Club Passim or some place where it's mostly music, or if it's me giving a talk, leading a workshop or coaching, it's kind of, or writing, it's kind of all the same thing, I think, at this point, which is, and, and you know, I, this is sort of like the place where I philosophically and tactically hang my hat, which is the idea that for me, I spent most of my life as a slave to my feelings. And that's really it. I ate because of my feelings. I drank because of my feelings. I did all of these things based on how I felt. And I realized about a decade ago that I actually had a choice. 
I realized that I had a choice. And so now I'm operating from a cult, from a, a curated list of core values mm -hmm. that I have spent time. Like, you know, if you ask most people what their core values are, they don't really know. And they're really, most people are just kind of winging it. And then if you ask people over casual conversation to tell you what their values are, they'll just start going, trust, love, honesty, blah, 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 blah. I think, but I think the deep work, at least for me, has been answering a, a series of questions that have brought me to a place where I know that compassion, connection, health, faith, impact, and creativity are the things that fuel me. Mm -hmm. So whether I am writing or performing or any of the things that I get to do creatively and publicly, when I am doing those things from a place of what I value most deeply, what I would call my non-negotiables, that's when the work works, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. whether, it, you know, in. what's that? You're plugged in. To I'm plugged in. Life. And there's this thing in the Bible. Is it okay for me to talk about the Bible? Yeah. All right. There's this thing in the Bible where Jesus gets up and he reads, a, he gets up in the synagogue and he covers his head and he opens a scroll and he reads this passage from the book of Isaiah, where he says, behold, I have come to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. Mm -hmm. And that's my working mission statement. That's why I'm here. The songs, this conversation, coaching, all of it. I am here to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. And when I'm operating from that place, again, it's like, it's like there's a track and when i'm on that track everything works talking about that i was thinking about you know being plugged in versus being out of that track and not plugged in and that was that was sort of what i was getting to around the disordered drinking for me last year what i found was for me was i was hiding and i feel like sometimes like when you're off that track right like you go back into that mode of hiding from some part of yourself that is uncomfortable for whatever reason. And sometimes it's the good stuff. It's not always th that I'm uncomfortable with um, the anxiety or the fears. Sometimes the fear is everything's going so well, and this is my authentic path. Something knocks me off and says, no, come back into the shadows and hide again, because yeah. that looks really scary. Like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And, and you're I, such a performer. It's like, I can't imagine you being on stage, but when you have weight issues, there's a piece of you that's hiding behind all of that weight, right? Oh, hiding behind all of it. Hiding behind, hiding behind the performer part, right? Yeah, which is so ironic, yeah. Right. So the early, early days of performance, it was all very sticky very calculated, very scripted, and, and totally hiding, hiding on stage. Yeah, and, yeah. and I can still say, you know, now maybe more than ever, although it's been a weird, it's been a weird couple of years with not getting to do that many performances, mm -hmm. but there, I feel like now when I'm in a groove as a performer, I'm at my most authentic. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I, I think when I'm on a stage with a microphone and an audience, whether it's doing a workshop, a keynote, or a concert, I feel like I feel like I'm most myself and most comfortable, which is so strange because I had crippling stage fright as a kid growing up. I had to like work through to I could be really funny and engaging with the people around me, mm -hmm. but put me on stage and give me a solo, not so much. Yeah. I, um, 
two years ago. So I have uh, a couple of dear, a couple of dear friends, Jim Zartman and Laura McCowan. And every year we do this thing where we offer each other a blessing and a challenge for the year. Mm. And two years ago, they gave me abundant blessings because they're dear, sweet people who see me and love me and get me. So I won't talk about their blessings. They were very flattering and generous, but the challenges were as follows. Number one, put down the drink. See what your life is like without booze. And their second challenge was get off the stage, except when you're on it. Mm. Get off the stage, except when you're on it. Interesting. And, and those were both. So I haven't had any alcohol in two years. Well, I shouldn't say that. I haven't felt the effects of alcohol in two years. If I'm out with somebody and they're having a glass of wine and it's particularly good or a cocktail that's particularly good, I'll take a sip. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just somebody who doesn't want to. I don't like moderation. I'm not interested in moderation. Moderation does not appeal to me. I'd rather do it or not do it. So uh, alcohol for me is something that I have decided just to not do. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, but the temptation to hide in a persona or a pizza or a drink. Yeah. I could, I could see myself falling back into it, going back into it. It's great to have people like that, that know you so well, though, that they'll throw you a lifeline. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting is um, my girlfriend at the time, we had had Christmas together. And the reason that they had told me, had challenged me to put the drink down is because between the months of November and December, between Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's of 2019, I hit it hard. Like I had a really fun, I had, I had a really fun, I had a really fun holiday season. And well, so do you find that when there's like a point in time, like a bullshit new year that everybody wants to wipe the slate clean, you go off the deep end right before off the deep end. I always, <laughs> well, that's, oh, I mean, with my, with my dieting my entire life or my drinking, or it's like, well, we're going to start and be so drastic. And so we're, the rules are going to be like, so set in stone come January 1st, I better yeah. live it up now, right? Yes. And it just does so much damage. It's so well, counterproductive. It's so interesting too, because my girlfriend who is like, um, we're not we're not romantic partners any longer, but she's still my best friend. She's just a really important person in my life. But I remember January of 2020, we were having a conversation and we were having an argument about something. And I said, well, we had a great time at Christmas. And she said, let's talk about Christmas. Oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> said, uh, and so this came on the heels of Jim and Laura's blessing and challenge. She mm -hmm. said, yeah, Christmas, Christmas was tough. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, we had gone away to this little, to this, um, place up in New Hampshire that we had like that we liked to go to and she said you know you you had like three or four drinks both nights and she said let's be really clear she says I'm not nagging you you can do you can do whatever you want to do she said but after one Manhattan you're still yourself and you're happy and you're great and you're still you after two Manhattans you're still you, but you're starting to, you're starting to shift. After three Manhattans, you are no longer you and you're having a great time. And people who don't know you and they're around you, they're also having a great time. But you're not you. And after four, you're really not you. And I want to be with you. And I was like, what, what a beautiful thing to say to somebody, essentially saying, 
I don't want you to participate or partake in things or behaviors that aren't gonna, that are gonna make you not be you. Yeah. I love you. I want to be with you. Yeah. And I was like, done. Mm-hmm. Done. Done drinking. Yeah. And isn't that it, right? Yeah. You and I both don't want to be, you and I, I know you well enough to know that you don't want to do things that are not going to result in more of the truest version of you. And I don't either. Exactly. Exactly. It's a practice, you know, constant practice. So in your coaching, let's just sort of, um, dovetail into how we're going to gracefully exit this wonderful time together so that I don't, I can't believe it's been an hour. Hasn't it? I know. I know. Isn't that crazy? It goes by so fast. I know the sun's like going down and we're like, how did this happen? You Um, and I can kill time the way I used to be able to kill a large pizza (laughs) or a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey Um, or or whatever. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So tell me about what 2022 looks like for you in terms of your business model coming out of COVID sort of, um, you know, your performing is still like, I don't know. I don't think you're getting on many stages. And so with that not happening so much, are you recording behind the scenes? Are you focusing far more on coaching? Are you, cause speaking gigs, even for me are all virtual still, what is your main focus for the for the upcoming year? That's a good question. Uh, the The word for the year, I think, is going to be uh, is I'm torn between two words. Do you ever cast a word for the year? Um, I have three words for my year. Yeah, I did. You ask we, if I pick words for my year. Yeah, so you do. Yeah, yeah. Mine are um, right there on the, my wall. I'm reading them. Um, believe, surrender, and manifest. Are words. you judging them? Did you just like uh, look up and stop talking and start judging my words? <laughs> no, I wanted to think about, no, I, wa- I wanted to think about if they rang true for me as it relates to you. Oh, oh yeah. What do you so think? I guess in a way I was judging them, but not in a way that resulted in me. I just wanted to, yeah. So I, I don't know. Is that offensive to you? No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. I, I think <laughs> believe, believe, surrender and trust those feel like great words for you. Mm. My words for this year right now are unparalleled and uncompromising. Mm. And, but I am still on the fence with them. Here's what I'm certain of this year. I'm certain that whatever I do, my primary work is about turning down the knob on shame in myself Mm. that's paramount yeah it's more important than what i'm actually going to do whatever i do i'm going to work to do it without shame and then beyond that i have some ideas um i am interested i have been avoiding putting out a product that is weight centric Hmm. just because it hasn't felt right for me, but I'm thinking about putting together an online course that is geared towards people who are morbidly obese. I feel like in this last couple of years, I've had enough coaching clients that were dealing with morbid obesity and, um, I think I have something to say philosophically and tactically to that subculture Mm -hmm. of people who are three, 400 pounds and they feel trapped. Yeah. So I'm sort of sitting with that as an idea. And I'm also interested, I'm always going to do the personal development work, like the life coaching with people. I love it. And that is that for a while now has felt has felt I charge for it, but it has felt even more like a spiritual practice than like a than like a, a business machine. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in coaching speakers and presenters. 
Mm. I'm, I'm really interested in getting with people who have to do professional presenting and speaking in a, and help them bring the truest, most compelling, powerful and fruitful version of themselves when they're presenting. Yeah. I, I think that there's something really beautiful and vulnerable that gets revealed when a person is put in that space. Yeah. And if a person yeah. is willing to step into that version of that work, I think that they, I think they'll destroy in the most beautiful way. And I think it's really easy to move into bullshit mode. And I, I want to rescue people from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very much like jujitsu, right? There's no place to hide on a stage and it's brutal. No way to, well, people, but people do it. And the more a person hides, the less effective and productive they are, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I love it in that, in that sense, because it does terrify me. And that's, it's just, I feel so alive doing it and mm -hmm. you have to be, you have to crack yourself open or it doesn't work. So yeah. it's why we bungee jump. I don't, but it's why people jump out of their planes. <laughs> I don't and like <laughs> yeah. for, for a lot of me, exactly. but for a lot of people getting up on stage, right. Yeah. And saying, here I am. And that, and it could be, I'm a real estate agent and I have to do a presentation and here I am. Terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free, release them to their good work in the full, in the, with, with a full expression of who they are mm -hmm. in their beauty and in their greatness. And I'll be damned if there isn't beauty and greatness in everybody doing everything. Yeah. Well, I think that's a beautiful way to end. Mm. Thank, thank you, you so for much. this. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Let me just gush a little bit. Thank you so much for being so beautifully committed to your work and being so generous in bringing this work to the world, Wendy. You are going to bind up so many broken hearts. You are going to set so many captives free. You already are. And this whole believe, surrender, and trust theme for 2022 is just so putting you in the river that you're supposed to be in. It's, I, just, I can just picture you floating down this river and people occasionally coming along that are going to be, and occasionally you're going to pause and you're going to stand up on a rock and you're going to address the multitudes that have gathered and then you're going to flow in that river as you continue to believe, surrender, and trust. Mm. I love it. I love that visualization. Thank you so much. Um, so where can people find you? Jimtrick.com. Uh, and then all of the social medias, Facebook, um, Instagram, just put in Jim Trick. There aren't many of us. I come up and um, I respond to all my emails. If anybody wants to chit chat, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm out there. You and, and then if you want to listen to music, for those of you who have Spotify, my last album, just put in Jim Trick, my last album, Further From The Tree, comes up and you can listen to a bunch of sad folk music. Mm, it's so good, though. So good. I have seen you in concert and won some of your CDs. Remember I won? I think people thought that was horribly rigged. <laughs> CDs, remember CDs? Yeah, now I have no place to even play them, but no. But the mix of your eight tracks and your cassette tapes. Yeah, right. <laughs> thank you again so much. And all that information will be in the show notes for everyone. So yeah, thank you so much for your time and good luck to you in 2022. Yay. So that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Perfectly Panic podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And if you really liked it, I would love a review to help expose our show to as many listeners in need of support as possible. And remember, you are not alone, and we're in this together.